Palm Sunday is a wonderful entrance to a most remarkable week. I hope that you are studying your personal Bible study this week. Uh, you pick one of those up and just let it get you through this and, and really plummet the depths of what this, this week means as we watch Jesus celebrate his last supper with us and, and we see him crucified and then rise again on the third day. Um, I want to take this time a little, oh, well, I'm sorry, I, I almost forgot. Nicole McNamore and Mac, Macamore's parents, I, they, they need you out in the children's building. Somebody hand me that note. Um, this is going to be just a little bit different sermon. There, there are occasions as we, as we exposit the gospel according to John uh, when we'll take little side roads because there are things that you need to know other than just the simple exposition of Scripture. There are things that all Christians need to know just in the, as the foundation of our faith is built. Uh, and we can see things uh, the way God has woven things together that aren't, that aren't so quite explicit in, uh, in Scripture. And one of those things is how Judaism fits in with Christianity. There is an occasion uh, to do this with this next uh, just couple of verses in the seventh chapter of the Gospel of John because it mentions one of the feasts of Israel. It mentions the Feast of the Booths. It says in John chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, uh, And after these things Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths, was at hand. I'd like to teach you about the Feasts of the Lord t- this morning. This sermon is going to be a little bit different than I usually do, because most of the time I, I tilt kind of toward the inspirational, this is going to tilt kind of toward the informational. There's a lot of information that's going to come at you this morning. But when we get done, I hope for two things. I hope, first of all, that you will see that feasts are not about food, but about fellowship. That the Lord calls us to feast and uses starvation in order to gather us to himself to experience his presence presence and his provision. And I hope you will also um, understand uh, how that fellowship uh, has, been, has been foreshadowed by the history of Judaism. Um, first of all, let's, let's talk, well, turn to chapter 23 in Leviticus, Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, third book in, and chapter 23. And as you get there, I will tell you, that's the only book in the Bible that has all of the feasts in order. So there are seven feasts. It has them listed in order. So we will be reading out of the book of Leviticus this morning. And, and, and again, I, want, I don't want you to see just the information here. I want you to see the fellowship. I want you to see how God is calling you to delight in, in eating together, in, in, in eating of his provision. Uh, the whole attitude of Palm Sunday uh, happened out of, a, out of a capability of people that is, that is somehow now alien to Western people. I don't know how many of you have been in countries that are non-Western countries, but there is, there is the distinct possibility if enough people gather together in a non-Western, uh, uh, in a non-Western country, there's going to be the outbreak of a spontaneous celebration. Um, and we don't have much of that here. But there, there was a great celebration in these feasts. And, 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 and we need to remember that. It's not just about food. You know that intuitively. You know that when, when you sit down, even when you're out eating, you like to, you, you more indulge in the company than you do the food. 
Becky and I were out this week. I was reminded of this. Uh, we, we eat out uh, several times a week just because of our schedule. And, um, and so we were out getting um, uh, food someplace and, and ran into a combative waitress. Have you ever had a combative waitress? I mean, waiters and waitresses are kind of my heroes. I, th- I think they're so cool because they set the whole mood for the meal, you know. And, and usually we just get the neatest waitresses. But this, I don't know what the deal was here, you know. But, but we, we just went out and, and she looked at Becky and said, well, what do you want? And so Becky ordered her entree and, and she said, well, you get a salad and a side with that. What do you want? And Becky said, well, can I just have like another little salad to go along? She said, no, that's too much salad. She said, you want a potato? Becky said, I, I really don't want a potato. How about French fries? No, I don't want broccoli. No, I don't want no, bro- no carbs, huh? Becky said, no, I'd, I'd, I'd really just like another little salad. She said, you don't need that much salad. <laughs> she looked at me and she said, what do you want? And I'm thinking, I don't want two salads. That's a... <laughs> but it was remarkable how that just kind of affected our meal. You know, we just kind of sat there and ate, you know? <laughs> You know, and, and I, I went and had tipped a girl because she looked like she was working her way through college or whatever. And I, and I thought, well, maybe she's just having a bad day. But, but this, the attitude was just pervasive in our meal. Well, the point to this is that God uses food, doesn't he, to call us into fellowship. And he uses the absence of that fellowship sometime to draw us into further fellowship, to miss him, in other words, and miss uh, that time together. Now, let's go through... The, um, the feasts that are listed in Leviticus chapter 23 because it is the first of these feasts that is the occasion for Palm Sunday. Three of the Jewish feasts are, are times when all of Israel, at least those who are within 15 miles of Jerusalem, are called to gather in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what was happening the week of Passover. A Passover is a gathering feast, a convocation of his people. And so there were people assembling from all over, and that's why the time was ripe for celebration. Lots of folks there. And, and it says this in verse uh, um, 4 and 5. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. Now, most of you know exactly what this is about. This... Uh, Passover is a celebration and a commemoration of God's provision of exodus from the children of Israel, from the slavery of Egypt into the wilderness toward the promised land. As a matter of fact, I think the Ten Commandments is on tonight. One of my favorite movies. I love that movie. And you will see portions of this in that movie. The Passover refers to uh, explicitly the final plague that got them out of there. You remember the 10 plagues uh, of, uh, uh, that, that were brought on to Pharaoh, the symbolic um, oppressor, uh, the symbolic uh, satanic presence. Um, and, and, and they were brought on to Pharaoh in order to force him to let God's people go. Those 10 plagues, by the way, were all aimed at Egyptian gods. They, they all had to do with false gods. And by the way, that's just a word. If you have a false god in your life, any god other than God, he's going to come at you with the plague in that area. Now, it, there's, this, there's this wonderful unfolding. I don't know how many of you have been to a Passover uh, Seder. Seder means order. A Passover feast um, that, that commemorates this. But there's this wonder, wonderful unfolding of the story. There's another one uh, that Northland is having on, on Tuesday 
down at uh, Pine Castle, First Baptist Pine Castle, at our Conway Ministry Center, if some of you want to go to that. But, but there's, there's, this, there's this leading up to this final plague. And the final plague, of course, is when the angel of death comes down out of heaven and, and, and takes the life of the firstborn of all of the land, except for those people of faith who have slaughtered the lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the lintel, the doorposts of their house. And when the angel of death sees that blood, he passes over that house, and the, in, and the people dwelling in that house are spared, safe from death. That is, of course, the exact foreshadowing of the blood of our lamb, Jesus Christ, that is shed for us, so that when the blood is on the heart, when the blood is over our lives, we don't experience death. We go from here to life. And so there's this wonderful commemoration. Well, it was exactly that that Jesus was celebrating at the Last Supper. On Monday, Thursday, we will celebrate it here as will churches all over this community. And when Jesus gets to that part, he was, he was celebrating the Passover Seder. And there are four cups in the Passover Seder. There, there's, there's the... Uh, there's the cup of blessing, the cup of judgment. That's when you take the ten dots and you name every one of the plagues. And then, there's, then you eat supper, and then there's the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. And it is that third cup that Jesus takes and he says, this, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he lifts it up, and after he thanks God, Baruch Adonai, blessed art thou, O Lord of the universe, who brings forth the creator of the fruit of the vine. After he, he, he symbolically says, I am your redemption. That's the cup of redemption. And that's the one he takes for the Last Supper. I am your redemption. And then the fourth cup is the one that looks forward to his coming again. I will not eat of this fruit of the vine or drink of this fruit of the vine again with you until that day in my father's house. And so what I want you to see is not only was this a foreshadowing, the exact foreshadowing of who Christ would be, but Christ was crucified on this day of the shedding of blood for the redemption of his people. That's what Passover is. It's the shedding of blood for the redemption of the people. He was crucified on that Friday. That Passover started that night. Now, there is a, there is a feast that immediately follows. Passover is only one day. There's a feast that immediately follows, and that is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Read with me verse 6. Then on the 15th day of the month, of the same month, there is the feast of the unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat of unleavened bread. Now this is to commemorate, again, in the Exodus, the fact that they were too much in a hurry to let the bread rise. But there, are also, there is another symbolism in this. And that's why this matzah is, is, is partaken of in the Last Supper. Matzah, by the way, is highly symbolic. It has holes in it. It has stripes on it. Uh, there's a, there, it's placed, the middle, the middle piece um, is broken and hidden for, to, to, to be brought out later. Um, and, 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 of course, he was pierced through uh, for our iniquity, bruised for our iniquities, uh, pierced for our transgressions. Um, and, and he was striped, uh, 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 you know that verse. <laughs> you know it better than I do. I just lost it. Anyhow. Um, and, it, and by his stripes we are healed. There we go. Uh, that would have bugged me for the rest of the sermon. Uh, but, but the point of this is that there is this unleavened bread that's used that symbolizes Christ. 
Well, leaven in Scripture is uh, usually used to, to, to symbolize sin. As a matter of fact, it says in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, it says this. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? It's talking about their lives. Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness and so on and so forth. And so there is, hundreds of years before Christ, this symbolism of getting out this... Now, and, and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread goes like this. There, the, the, the head of the household, uh, or the mother of the household, plants little leaven, yeast, uh, throughout the household. And they go on a great search. And the search is with a feather and a wooden spoon. It's in, Jew, in a Jewish household. They go, and, they, and they find it, and the kids, are, the kids are watching with them. And they find it, and they scoop it up into this spoon, and then they dump it into a sack. And they go until all of the leaven of the house is cleaned out. And then they take that sack outside, and they burn the feather, and they burn the spoon, and they burn the sack in the leaven. So that there is no leaven. Now, what's the symbolism here? Symbolism is that leaven is decay. That's what yeast is. It's decay. That's what creates the bubbles that makes the bread rise. The symbolism for Christ is this, sanctification. What was the prediction of Christ when he was in the grave? There would be no decay in his body. His body would not go into decay. Um, even though he took on the sins of the world, yet he was sanctified. He was cleaned out so that there was no decay of his body when he was in the tomb. So therefore, in this Passover Seder, we have so far two symbols that exactly applied to Christ and it was exactly on this chronology that he was crucified and buried. That is the symbol of redemption and the symbol of sanctification. What happens on the third day? Read with me the third of the feasts. It is the feasts, feast of the first fruit. It says this in verse uh, 10. When you enter the land which I'm going to give to you, reap its harvest and then you shall bring in the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, on the third day, this happens on the third day, there is this ingathering. But before this harvest, and this happens to be the barley harvest at this time of year, they take a sheaf. That is the first symbol of not only the harvest, but, and nobody partakes of this harvest before they do this. The first symbol of the promise of the rest of the harvest. And they lift this sheaf up. This sheaf is raised up and waved before God. And when they can see his promise and when they can properly thank God, then all can partake of the harvest. Jesus was not only raised on the day of the first fruits. He was called the first fruits. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 and 22, it says this, But now Christ has been raised up from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Therefore, what we are about to experience this Holy Week was foretold by God for hundreds and hundreds of years. 
in the simple ceremony of the history of the people of Israel so that we and they could recognize Christ as he came. There was the day of redemption when he was crucified. There was the day of sanctification when he was buried. There was no, there was no sin in him so that his body did not decay. And there was the day of resurrection. There was Passover. There was unleavened bread. And there was the first fruits. Okay? Now, the next feast that takes place is the Feast of Weeks, or Shavuot. That takes place, you know, in, in, in the Bible, uh, seven is the perfect number, the complete number. And so there's seven days in a week. There are seven feasts. By the way, I forgot that. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I, I didn't put that on your outline, that uh, uh, Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Just put a slice under Passover. They run together anyhow. Um, and and there's, there's the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, which happens seven weeks plus a day after, after Passover. And so that, and, the, and that's why they call it Pentecost. Penta stands for 50. Read with me in um, Leviticus chapter 23. It says this in verse 15. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath and from the day when you brought in the sheaf of the wave offering. Okay. <clears throat> that's three days after Passover. <clears throat> it says, um, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths, that is, seven weeks, and you shall count to fifty days, to the day after the Sabbath, and you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Now, this new grain offering would be the, would be the second and last harvest, the harvest of wheat. And that, that, would be, that would happen on the day of Pentecost. Well, now, most of you who have been in the church knows exactly what happened on the day of Pentecost. That was the birth of the church. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, this. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house. And the Holy Spirit descended, and they began to speak the gospel so that everyone who was gathered could um, understand the gospel. This, by the way, was the second feast where there is an ingathering of everybody. That's why everybody was in the city. Uh, believers from every nation, every tribe was represented. From the very first, the church was not of one people, it was of all people. And so therefore there is this gathering. And, and we have gone from redemption and sanctification and resurrection to now origination of the church. Now look what happened. Look at the symbolism of the, the festival of weeks. It says in verse 17, You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. In other words, this is another symbolism of that which would, which would come, that which would follow. It's the promise of all of the harvest. And what happened on the day of the birth of the church is that in the temple there was offered two loaves of bread, one representing Israel, one representing, now we understand, the nations of the Gentiles, both of them with leaven. That is, both of them with sin. None of, they, they weren't clean. They weren't perfect. They were just there. And that was the symbolism then of the beginning of the church. That completes the fourth of the spring feasts. There are only seven. Four of them are in the spring. And of those four, all have been fulfilled exactly in Jesus Christ. They were fulfilled to the day of the traditional Jewish celebration. 
so that no one could miss that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the expectation of the long-awaited Messiah, Yeshua Messiah. Now, the last three of the feasts happen in the fall, and they have not yet been fulfilled. They are that to which we look for the future. Read with me again in verse... Um, in verse 23, 24, I'm sorry. Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of, uh, of the month, you shall have a rest and a reminder by the blowing of the trumpets, a holy convocation. This is, and you'll recognize this, this uh, um, term, Rosh Hashanah. This is the beginning of the year. This is the, 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 the Jews uh, operate on a, on a lunar calendar. Uh, not a Gregorian calendar. And so this is the beginning of the year for them. This is in September. Now, in, in history, the trumpet, um, and, the, and in this case they're talking about the shofar. It's a ram's horn. You probably heard those blown before. Uh, not a cow's horn. They had some bad memories of golden calves in, uh, in the wilderness. Uh, but a ram's horn. They had much, that's much better memory with Abraham um, and the ram that is the sacrifice substitute for Isaac. Um, so in a ram's horn, and they blow it, they blow it for three purposes. They blow it to convene the people, they blow it to start a, a battle or a struggle, and they blow it to go on to a new stage of the life of the nation. And that will be fulfilled when the Lord comes again. Um, the, the, the trumpet, by the way, that is mentioned, and it's mentioned in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, as it looks to the second coming of the Lord. It says this, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now, this trumpet that is blown in a pattern, by the way, it's of one long, three short, nine staccato, and one long. This trumpet is the signal for something happening. When the Lord comes again, nobody's going to miss it. I, I, when, when people say, maybe he's come again, we've just missed it. No, you won't. Promise, you won't miss it. It'll be very evident to everybody. But when the Lord comes again, there will be a struggle, and then there will be an ultimate consummation of the people who are the believing people of God. By the way, in Rosh Hashanah, there's 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And during those 10 days, there are three books brought out. One is the, the living book of the, the book of life of the righteous. One is the book of life of the wicked. They're, 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 they're promised not to even live another year. But there's also the book of life of the undecided. <laughs> and that is to say, uh, to the people, if you, if you understand you have sin in your life, you have this length of time to repent. And if you sincerely and earnestly repent on the Day of Atonement, there will be offered a sacrifice for you for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I wish I had time to go into this sacrifice. It's a fascinating ceremony. And, and I've told you uh, this, I think, in one other, one other sermon. Um, but but there's, this high, there, there's the high priest um, who, in a spiritual sense, Hebrews identifies as Jesus Christ. And you can see the foreshadowing of Jesus. This, this high priest goes uh, in anticipation of this day for a week to live at the temple so that he won't be stained by the world. He, he, 
he, he changes clothes on that, on that day five times so that there will be no stain so that his, his, um, his offering will not be desecrated. And of course, the scripture says Jesus knew no sin. He was without stain. He was the perfect high priest. To offer once what this priest had to offer every year. And there's this elaborate ceremony, both of a bull and two goats. And, and the bull, uh, the, the blood is sacrificed, uh, the blood pours and is, and, is, and is sprinkled. And then it's mixed in with the, with the blood of one of these two goats. And the goat, the goat the, they, they, they come in a pair, they sacrifice one of the goats. And his blood also is for the remission of sins. The Bible says, by the way, without blood there is no remission of sin. That, that's why people, Christians for years, have sung about blood. And it seems macabre to people who are not Christians. You know, washed in the blood. Oh, man. There is a fountain filled with blood and flowing from, from Emmanuel's veins. I mean, it, it just seems so. But, but it is this symbol. That symbol of life. That symbol of new life that washes away our sins. And, and, and what, can, who can, what can wash away our sins? None but the blood of Jesus. We've sung this for years. And, we, and, and this comes from our Hebrew heritage. But the perfect and, and ultimate and once for all sacrifice is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so, but, the, but one of the interesting things of this other, I said there were two goats. The other goat is where we get the term scapegoat. Because they take this goat... And the high priest places his hands on the head of this goat and, and symbolically transfers all the sins of the nation on this goat. And then they take this goat out so far in the wilderness that there is no chance this goat will ever see another human being, ever run into anybody else. As a matter of fact, many times, in many years, they'd kill him so, he, so it wouldn't happen by accident. And, and that is, of course, symbolic, the removing of the sins as far as the east is from the west. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He takes away our sin and removes them from us as far as the east is from the west. And so there's this great day of atonement. And then the last festival is this, the Feast of Booths. And that's the one where we started. Uh, that's the one that was being celebrated in John chapter 7. Let me read to you just this uh, in verse 34 of Leviticus 23. It says on the 15th of the seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. Now, the booths were temporary dwellings that people would construct many times out of palm branches and dwell in them, being very uncomfortable to remind themselves that they were on a journey for years and they didn't have any permanent housing. But it pointed toward the ultimate permanent dwelling that they would someday have in the promised land. And they would have wonderful feasts. I mean, they, I mean, they, would, they would decorate. The, these, were, these were poor houses, but great banquets. Uh, and they would bring in the food and so on and so forth. They would eat together. They'd love each other, you know, and celebrate the fact that someday they would have a permanent dwelling. Well, it refers to this impermanent dwelling, this booth, this tent, this tabernacle um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, as Paul writes this, chapter 5, verses 1 and 4. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 4, for indeed, while we are in this tent, and again, the word here is tabernacle, booth, temporary housing, 
As we are in this tent, we groan being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. <laughs> and so there is this great sense of the fact that we do live in this temporary deal here. And even the food we take in just feeds a temporary deal. But someday we're going to have this great permanent dwelling in a house not made with hands. When God is with his people and we're all living together and we're eating of that heavenly banquet together. Now, some of you have asked before, okay, it talks about the resurrected bodies. It talks about when you die. When you die, do you sleep? And then you sleep until you're resurrected? Or are you immediately with the Lord? And if so, what do you need with a resurrected body? And so on and so forth. Let me, let me just give you the overall skinny on that. Paul said that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment someone dies, their spirit is present with the Lord. They're fully with the Lord. The scripture does have the day that talks about the day of the resurrection of the body. And so there will be a time when we do have resurrected bodies in the future. And those will be perfect bodies. And then, and, and then of course, the, the question is, how long you got to wait? You know? And here's what you got to realize. When you see things from man's standpoint, you can only see them in a three or four dimensional world. That's the only reality that we experience. We live in a time-space continuum. And so that's the only way we can talk. And there, we talk in terms of patience and waiting and how long and so on and so forth. But ultimately, reality is at least ten dimensions, if not more. And the limitations we put on our own, our own perceptions in this life are not the limitations of heaven. As soon as we step out of this space kind of time continuing, we're, on, we're in another world altogether where there is no time. I tell people, when some, people worry about their relatives who die, who are, who are not going to be happy in heaven because they're going to miss their spouse so much or they're going to miss their kids. So, I tell them this, once you step, if you're looking back, there's your family. There's no time there. There's no waiting there. Everything is present. Everything is always now there. Only here do we experience that kind of waiting. And it's that kind of waiting that is experienced when you say, we're in this temporary booth thing. That's going on right now. So I want to tell you just one application to this, and, I, and, and time's up, and I, but I want, to, I, want to, I want to tell you this before we sing this last song together. I believe that God has given us these wonderful feasts in order to recognize his precision with the identification of Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But he has also given us these feasts as a reminder of what he does for us every day. Give us this day our daily bread, we pray. And so I would like to suggest to you a couple of application points that would really fulfill this scripture. Number one... I don't know how many of you stopped saying grace, but I want you to start again. When you were little, before you ate, you prayed. And you thanked God and you recognized his presence. Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who bringeth forth bread from the earth. Or some of you had your, um, um, what's, what's the uh, Catholic one? The, uh... Yeah, blessed, blessed art thou, uh, blessed... Tell... Which we are about to receive through the body of Christ our Christ. Yes, right, right. Well, you, you grew up with those. Some of you just, some of you grew up with prayers. Just say, okay, it's your turn to pray. And you, and you 
you recognize that that was a provision of God, would you start doing that again? That is so important. And I don't care if you're out in public. Bow your head and pray if you're out in public. Because it's, it's, it's a part of you understanding that this is a provision of the Lord and it's not about the food, it's about the fellowship. It's not about how full you get, it's how, about how much, how much of a relationship you've got with God. That's the point. And secondly, would you please, if you have the opportunity, make contact with somebody. Just, if you're out, if you're out in, the, in a restaurant, look around for Northlanders or look around for another Christian. Because that's family. That's family forever. And if you can, if you can uh, have that kind of personal fellowship, then you will fully realize that this is about relationship. Not just with God, but about relationship with each other. Okay? Let me pray. Lord, thanks for these wonderful provisions. Thank you for not only what you give us in terms of feasts and fellowships, but what you give us in terms of a providence of history that would so precisely regulate and anticipate the, the festivities and point toward Christ that no one who was, who was really, missing, really looking could miss him. Thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you will continue to bring people uh, to the Messiah to the Savior, whose blood absolutely pays for all of our sin. Thank you. And as you do that, Lord, as you, as you continue to help us appreciate your sacrifice, help us also to use the occasion of eating for fellowship with you and with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.